What's up, film fans? How's it going? Welcome into the Second Day Film Podcast, the official podcast of the Second Day Film Club. I'm Brandon Champion, joined by my fellow movie maestro, Mike Nichols, on Wednesday, March 23rd, 2022. And Mike, it's time. It's time to bust out the evening gowns, bust out the tuxedos. It's your favorite time of year. It's Oscars season. Uh, I know that every year you just sort of wake up in this time of year and all spry and happy that awards are right around the corner and the Oscar buzz, you just can't get enough of it frantically online searching. So congrats, man. It's your time of year. Oh yeah. I mean, I love the Oscars. I just think, you know, what a great and fair and non-biased way to evaluate art. And uh, yeah, (laughs) what could go wrong? So yeah, let's let's talk about the Oscars. Pretty much everything could go wrong, it seems lately. Which is like I, the theme this year is movie lovers unite. So they're, they they're clearly have made an effort in recent years to try and make this more approachable, I guess, for the casual movie fan. And the way they do that is by completely snubbing uh, Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings and Spider Man No Way Home, uh, and nominating you know films like Drive My Car that everyone has seen. Well, I've seen it, but uh, <laughs> you know. I have a, a film and TV podcast I co-host, so I'm I'm mm-hmm. I'm forced I, to things by social pressures, namely you. Forced, please. <laughs> you were watching a lot of these movies, and I do appreciate you putting in the effort to actually watch these movies, Mike. As as it is much better to talk about movies with someone else rather than someone yourself. Uh, speaking of which, Evan Dean, all obviously not here. Uh, we hope we'll get him on the next pod. Um, but uh, yeah, wasn't able to make it on tonight, and we will miss him as always. But that just means more work for you, Mike. We love you, Evan. Come back to us soon. Come hope back to will. us, please. He's probably with some other podcast right now, just yeah. just just hanging out. Um, but so, like I said, Oscars are coming up. They're this Sunday, so we're gonna do this pod a little bit different than we normally do. Um, yeah. A lot of these movies, some of them we've reviewed on previous episodes, um, the nominees that is, and other ones we just haven't had a chance to get to. And there's a lot of them that we haven't gotten to, so we thought it would be a good idea to sort of just go through uh, the the nominees in the different categories. Uh, and sort of talk about the films and the performances and and what we liked and disliked about the films um, in the individual categories and just kind of have a more natural conversation that way that will allow us to sort of review the movie movies while also touching on a lot of them because as you know when we normally review movies we usually like to go for you know 15 20 minutes and we simply don't have time to do that mike with all these movies we want to get to um so we'll also make some picks along the way mike has begrudgingly agreed to do so and uh since he's seen a lot of these movies this year as have i um he's begrudgingly agreed to have a little friendly wager here uh picking oscars and whoever does the best uh gets to order the other film fan uh to watch a movie of their choice which is always exciting because as if you've listened to any episodes of the Second Day Film Podcast, you know that Evan, Mike, and myself uh, have similar but different tastes. Would you say that's fair, Mike? I mean, we all have our certain things that we like to lean into. Certainly. Nothing fair has been said on this pod. <laughs> what do you mean? What does that I, even mean? I said I, it's fair. That's a fair comment. We all have different tastes. And that, yeah, I, I, think, I think, creates a balance with the pod. You know, you with your love of you know intense hard-hitting truthful things evan with his love of riverdale and and me and horror films with my love of good movies so (laughs) okay okay it's all balanced it's all balanced we'll we'll see who has better taste 
to movies on this podcast because we're going to be yeah, talking we'll about see. a lot of films that are widely heralded uh, this year. Uh, even if you haven't seen them, maybe this will, if you're not into the artsy fartsy Oscar movies, then maybe if you listen to this pod and you'll see that, you know, maybe there are some certain, certain things that you can take away from movies yeah. that you might not see otherwise. Otherwise, you might just be like, well, maybe I'm just going to skip that because I just can't go down that road. I have to you know? say, too, like there's a lot of movies in the best picture category that I remember when I first watched some of those movies, I was like, okay, yeah, that was a movie. And now I'm like, wait, that's like, that's considered one of the best films that came out this year. Like, oh, okay. Like, I guess it must have been, I don't know. Like, I know it was a tough year to make movies and everything. It's been a challenging time for the industry and just every industry. But uh, yeah, it does feel like it's kind of slim pickings this year. I think that's fair. I was also thinking that same thing when I was watching some of the best pictures. I was like, yeah, good, solid movie. I'm not sure it rises to the level of like some of the best picture winners that I've absolutely loved in the last few years. Um, So, I mean, we can talk about that maybe when we when we get into the films more. But uh, so let's get into it, Mike. We're going to start with sort of I don't want to say minor awards because they're all important to the people who are winning and nominated. But, uh, you know, the awards that maybe don't get as much pub or fanfare. And we don't really need to get into these because, uh, you know, I haven't seen a lot of the uh, some of these that are nominated in other categories, I'm mostly just making a pick off buzz, but just to have it on the record, uh, for our picks here, I'm going to run through the, uh, the, the, the shorts first, Mike, cause have you seen any of the shorts? I'm guessing not. Uh, are we talking the animated shorts or the live action shorts? Any of them? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> Sorry. Me neither. But, but I have I'll, heard. I'll still make, I'll still make guesses. Tell you well, what, yeah, you, I... you take like the real guesses and I'll ask silly. I'll make silly guesses. So well, I mean, the, the the shorts are basically just guesses. I'm basically just going off buzz. Like, uh, there's there's some of them that I've heard of and some that I've heard buzz about. So for the shorts, we don't need to spend a lot of time on this. But uh, best documentary short subject, you've got Audible, Lead Me Home, The Queen of Basketball, Three Songs for Benazir, and When We Were Bullies. Uh, I'm gonna go with The Queen of Basketball. I've heard I've heard some buzz about this. Uh, apparently following a, a female basketball legend, uh, Louisa Harris. It was at Tribeca, and I remember seeing some stories come out. So I'm going to go with that for that one. What about you? Uh, man, I, I I would like to see all these, actually. Um, you know, uh, lately I've just been thinking we all need to pull audibles. Like life, you never know what's going to happen. We all got to <laughs> pull an audible. So I'm going to just go for that one. Based on no yeah. reason other than the name. I'm also I'm gonna a big like, fan people of the like watch March, March Madness and are like, oh, what's the mascot? I like that mascot. I'm going to root for them. That's literally what I'm doing with these Oscar picks at this point. And I'm sorry. But, that's what people do. Yeah. yeah, March Madness. I like that that strategy. Audible is also a great app. So that's good. But it looks like Audible and uh, Lead Me Home are both on Netflix. So uh, mm-hmm. if you wanted to check them out, you could pretty easily. Uh, so moving on to best live action short film. We've got Alakachu, The Dress, The Long Goodbye, On My Mind, and Please Hold. I'm going to go with um, for live action, the long goodbye, because I've actually seen that one. It's uh, it, it, it's kind of an interesting story, Mike. I don't know if you heard about this, but Riz Ahmed released a studio album. It was his second one. And this it's called the long goodbye. And this movie, uh, it, uh, this short film was released as a companion for the album and it somehow got nominated for an Oscar. So I, th- I just think the uniqueness of that, um, I'm going to go with it, that. That dude was amazing in The Sound of Metal. And uh, so, yeah, just based on that alone, I'll go with that one, too. Also, The Night Of. Have you ever seen The Night Of with him that on HBO miniseries? Fantastic with Riz Ahmed. Um, 
if you haven't seen that, I would definitely recommend checking it out. Um, so then, um, sorry, what did you pick? Yeah, I'll pick that one. Long, Long goodbye. goodbye. Okay. Sounds like a Beatles song. All right. <laughs> it does. What's, what's right, next? Best, best animated short film. Again, haven't really seen these. Um, so let's just read them off. Affairs of the Art, Bestia, Box Ballet, Robin Robin, The Windshield Wiper. Um, let's go with the Robins. Robin Robin. We Robin State Bird of Michigan, and we get it twice. Twice is nice. Let's go. Robin Robin. I'm going to say Affairs of the Art. Uh, it sounds like uh, it, ca- it kind of just makes me think of like if uh, if a violin found out that you know its its fiddle was cheating on it with a cello. <laughs> sounds sounds like sounds like some some pieces of art are up to no good. Affairs of right, the right. That screenplay, Mike. Come yeah. on, let's let's get that cooking. I think that's a decent idea. It sounds it sounds I like see- a. I have seen none of these movies, and whoever made Affairs of the Art, sorry, I'm sure it's great. I I just have, and the other ones, I just haven't seen any of these, so I'm just being silly. Please continue. Me, me neither, man. Me neither. I mean, the shorts are always hard. Like accessibility is hard to watch the shorts sometimes. Like I know some theaters, like artsy smaller theaters, will like show them all back to back to back to back, and you can see them that way. But sometimes they're hard to just find. So, um, <laughs> although I don't know what our excuse is with the Netflix, <laughs> because there's a couple of them on Netflix. So also, I guess we should have checked that out. Box ballet just it makes me think of like what if Rocky just showed up during Black Swan and just started punching Natalie Portman. <laughs> uh, this is terrible. I'm sorry. Let's go. Jeez. Yeah, what did Natalie Portman do to you? You're so mad about those Star Nothing. Wars movies. I, no, I, I, Natalie Portman's great. All right, continue. <laughs> All right. So those are the, you know, the, the shorts, you know, we basically guessed. So sorry for our laziness on that. Uh, but let's get into something, you know, I think that we can sort of judge a little bit more. Uh, let's go with costume design here, Mike. Um, and I don't know if you saw, we reviewed Cruella on the pod. Um, so that one was obviously, you know, fabulous costumes with, uh, with, uh, Emma Stone portraying the Disney villain. So that's, um, nominated Serrano. I did not see that's the Peter Dinklage joint, uh, Dune. We obviously raved about that nightmare, nightmare alley and West side story. Uh, I'm going to go with Cruella because I just think that that movie lent itself to, you know, extravagant costumes. Like we've seen Cruella in the in the uh, the live action with Glenn Close. We saw Cruella in the 101 Dalmatians. That character just lends itself to awesome costumes. Um, and I think that the live action version sort of brought that up to a new level. I think it's actually going to win an Oscar uh, for a very specific category, but I do think it's going to win. Yeah, on principle, I'm not going to vote for Cruella because I don't like that Disney's making live action remakes that I disapprove of. Uh, so I'm going to go instead with uh, West Side Story because those dresses were gorgeous and the costumes were awesome in that one. That movie in general was gorgeous, you know, like uh, Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. Just watched that the other day. That's going to come up a lot. I think it's nominated for um, seven Academy Awards. So, I mean, that's it's obviously going to come up multiple times and we'll have more opportunities to talk about it. But yeah, I think that's a good guess. Uh, there's just so much going on in that movie, too, like. Uh, a lot of opportunities to dress people in different ways because there's so many people that because of the sheer volume of actors on screen. Um, so uh, moving on to some of the more technical stuff, best makeup and hairstyling. You got coming to America. I did not realize that that was nominated for Academy Award. Academy <laughs> Award nominated coming to America. I didn't watch that. I think you did, though. I, enjoyed, um, I thought it was fine. I enjoyed it for what it was. 
Yeah, we never got to that. I have a I have a confession, Mike. I've never seen coming. I've never seen the first coming to America. So you've never seen coming to America? I'm not, man. Like those those 80s, oh, 90s Eddie Murphy comedies are kind of a blind spot for me. I kind yeah, of I'm kind of missed out on Eddie, a lot of them. It's an Eddie Murphy classic. It's very yeah. good. Yeah. Was Coming to America a worthy sequel? Uh, it didn't get as good reviews, but it was fine. You know, I think they just had fun with it. It was fine. Right. Clever title with the two yeah. in, instead of the two. Oh, yeah. um, sorry. So, so other nominees for best That's makeup and hairstyle. never been done before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> never been done before. Anyway, <laughs> so best makeup and hairstyling. Um, I got to read what? the rest of just them. Because, just I got to read the rest of the nominees. All, all right. right. Slow down. Slow down. All right. It's Cruella. Uh, Dune shows up again. The Eyes of Tammy Faye and House of Gucci. Uh, I did not see House of Gucci, but it's good to know that, you know, for uh, Gucci, that makeup and hairstyling looks good. I'm going to go with the, the Eyes of Tammy Faye for this one because Jennifer or Jessica Chastain stars in that movie uh, as the televangelist Tammy Faye. And at the start of the movie, she's like this normal uh, Southern, you know, God-fearing girl, and by the end, she's like this makeup caked on, almost character of a televangelist on TV. Uh, she looks like a crazy person because, well, she basically is by the end of that movie. Um, and the transformation that they that they make in that movie, I think, is going to be worthy of an Oscar at least for makeup and hairstyling. I was going to say the same thing, just because I always think that whenever I've seen like those TV evangelist like hairstyles, they're just like they're so unreal that. Like they're just they're iconic in their own awful way. So yeah. All right. So that's two votes for the eyes of Tammy Faye for makeup and hairstyling. Uh let's see. Where do you want to go next, Mike? Pick a pick a pick a category here. Uh none none yeah. of the big six though. Best visual effects. All right. Best visual effects. We've got a Marvel sighting here. So that's nice. Actually, two Marvel movies. Two Marvel we've we've got Dune. We've got Free Guy, the Ryan Reynolds joint. We've got No Time to Die, the Bond film, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, and Spider-Man No Way Home. And Mike, you always got to appreciate the best visual effects category for uh, giving us some blockbuster crowd pleasers. You know, it's like the one category where the big mainstream movies can actually garner an award. So that's nice to see. Uh, I'm going to give it to Dune because we, we gushed over that movie, uh, you know, in, the, in how it looked. Um, and from a visual standpoint, I thought it was nearly flawless. And while the Marvel movies have great visual effects in them, particularly Shang-Chi, I think, um, the Academy just never shows any love to Marvel. So uh, maybe this is a little bit of a strategic bet um, that they're going to lean more into Denis Villeneuve's visual spectacle of Dune over Marvel. But I, I do think Dune is worthy of it also. Yeah, I, I think Dune frankly deserves it. But I mean, don't forget, in Spider-Man No Way Home, uh, one of the Spider-Man wore a fake butt, and none of us knew that. So, I mean, that was how, how good is that special effect that you actually thought it was someone's real butt? Uh, so, as much as I love Spider-Man No Way Home, I will give it to Dune. So, sorry, Spider-Man No Way Home. Your fake butt is not enough to get you an Oscar. Very clever, but not enough to get you an Oscar. No. And uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, just Google Spider-Man No Way Home fake butt. Just, it's a trip. <laughs> Anyway, it's it's one of the first ones that pop up probably on the old <laughs> Google machine there. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's let's. Oh, geez. Uh, my cat's uh, wants involved here. All right, let's move on to best film editing. Uh, you've got Don't Look Up. You've got Dune again. You've got King Richard. You've got The Power of the Dog. You've got Tick, Tick, Boom. 
this is always a hard one for me, Mike, because I'm not a professional editor. And I, I you know, I think you can recognize editing as a skill, but I'm, I'm not very good at like grading it. Um, so I guess I'm just going to go with Dune again because, because, um, you know, that was a lot of storytelling to, to jam into a couple hours there. And while I, I do think, it, like we mentioned on a review of the movie, you know, it, it can, it's a lot, it's overwhelming and you can kind of get lost if you're not paying attention. Like I said, I had to watch the movie twice. Um, but I do think they fit a lot of story in the time period, uh, even though they're splitting the movie in half. And I think editing goes a long way in telling a story in a succinct manner. So I'll just go with Dune again. Yeah, I mean, they edited out the whole second half of the books. So, yeah. <laughs> Very impressive. Um, yeah, this They is edited how- out Zendaya, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, she's in like seven minutes of the movie. Um, you know, I uh, I don't really know. Like, I really liked Don't Look Up, but yeah, I'm not really sure if this is the category for that. Uh, Tick, Tick, Boom was one I really wanted to see, but didn't. But I, I have a feeling that did, had good editing in it. Um, yeah, it was solid. Are the dogs I mean, pretty that... popular? Um, yeah, you know what? I'll go with I'll go with Dune as well. Let's stick with the with the um, more of the technical awards here. We've got best cinematography. Dune shows up again. Nightmare Alley shows up. The Power of the Dog. The Tragedy of Macbeth shows up. West Side Story uh, also in this category. Um, and Mike, I know I said we were going to like sort of review these movies more as, but let's just wait till we get to the, the best pictures and we can kind of, you know, review them then. We can make little comments here. But um, for, for cinematography, uh, which I thought was a really strong point of the Tragedy of Macbeth, that's not nominated for best picture. So I'll say it here. Um, you know, it's it's Ethan Cohen uh, going off on his own. And it's, it's, it's like, it's a stage play. It's Shakespeare, obviously. And they're really leaning into that in this movie. It's all black and white. So it's sort of a stripped down sort of storytelling style. Mike, I'm sure you've seen the trailer. So you kind of get what I'm saying. Um, But it's so powerful. It's so stylish, even though it's so simple. And that's a really hard balance to strike uh, in terms of cinematography. That being said, I can't not give this award to Dune. (laughs) Like I know because the cinematography in that movie was insane. I mean, we talked about it nonstop. How, how long did we talk about the technical aspects in that movie and just how big the scope felt and how, um, you know, the shots so purposeful, whether it was, uh, you know, the villain, the Baron coming out of that muck that he was in in the bath or the big sweeping shots of of um, Arrakis and uh, the, the, the stronghold they had there. And I just think that movie was so awesome from a technical standpoint. Maybe it helped that I saw it in IMAX, but I think Dune is going to win a lot of these technical awards. I think I'm actually going to give this one to West Side Story. Like every single camera, like shot and angle and movement of that movie was just a masterpiece. Like, and the the colors and everything, just everything that you were experiencing visually on screen, I just thought was completely overwhelmingly beautiful and and good storytelling and like it was just spielberg at like just <laughs> some 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 of the best of his camera work like and i know that's like crazy saying that for spielberg but like really like in terms of just like the shot like the shots alone like every single thing in that movie just pops i i, I think i'm gonna give it to not that i didn't like the cinematography in dune or uh, and I really wish I'd seen Macbeth. I've really wanted to see that one, but I, I don't have Apple. So, um, yeah, uh, I'll, I'll go with West Side Story. 
I mean, yeah, I, I totally agree with what you're saying about West Side Story. I mean, Spielberg is just a master with the camera, the way he mm. m- weaves in and out of scenes and sort of spins around the action, um, yeah. you know, which obviously lends itself well to a musical. But yeah, I mean, I think that's a that's a perfectly good guess. And then this best production design sort of goes hand in hand with cinematography. Yeah, you've got the same nominees: Dune, Nightmare Alley, The Power of the Dog, The Tragedy of Macbeth. And West Side Story. I'm going to give it to Dune again because, like I said, they, they kind of go hand in hand. And we often see this award go to the same movie. Or yeah. those two awards go to the same movie. I'll give it to West Side Story again. I mean, the the, the dancing and everything. It was just like... like and, and the way that the shots they got in New York. Like, that, it was just really, really great. I'll go back. Mm-hmm. I'll go West Side again. So... It's, What's next? it's so hard to compare movies like that when you're talking about yeah. production design because, you know, Dune is obviously this huge, extravagant, uh, you know, space epic. And then West Side Story is like kind of this small story about a neighborhood in New York. And yeah. but both just have to lend themselves to to awesome production design and set decoration. So uh, kudos for all those nominees yeah. because Tragedy Macbeth, I just said what I liked about that. And Nightmare Alley also had some some really cool uh, stuff like that with with obviously with Guillermo del Toro's, um, you know, sort of vision. But um, it's it's sort of like this pre-World War II, you know, fairgrounds and uh, 1940s Buffalo. Uh, that world was really brought to life well. So I really think these are pretty competitive categories. But uh, I'm going to go two for Dune. Michael, go two for West Side Story. Best sound, you've got Belfast. Remember, they used to have sound editing and sound mixing. I think they combined them, which I think is a good call because they're basically the same thing. And I didn't really... Yeah, they're trying to shorten the, the the program. I think that's why they combined them. But you've got Belfast, Dune, No Time to Die, The Power of the Dog, West Side Story. Um, again, I think Dune and West Side Story are the two favorites here. Um, and I'm going to give this one to West Side Story because it's a musical. And I think that that makes it more complicated to mix things. Yeah, I just think uh, the sound in West Side Story really snapped, you know? <laughs> yeah, give it a snap. Yeah, let's go West Side Story. Although Belfast had some nice sound too i think that was a little underrated sometimes with the sound booth but yeah probably west side story all right we've got uh let's see best original score um don't look up dune by the great Hans zimmer and kanto uh parallel mothers which is the one movie i think here that we haven't seen in terms of the movies uh and also the power of the dog which i don't remember there being that memorable of a score in that movie but i don't know that we, we reviewed that a while ago I don't know, Mike. I clearly I love Dune, but Hans Zimmer is is just something else. I I, I, w- I wish they would give it to Encanto because I think that that soundtrack and the score in that movie is super charming, uh, super bright, uh, fun. I just don't see them giving best score to an animated film, so I'm going to go with Dune again because it had that sort of haunting, sort of synthesizer epic, sort of the music was just so unique in Dune that I really think helped set the uh, set the mood and the stage for the film that we were in the world that we were being thrust into. So, um, you know, Dune is nominated for a lot of things, especially from the technical aspects. And I think, I really think it's going to win a lot of them. I thought it was that spectacular. Yeah. I think uh, Hans Zimmer is definitely like one of the best composers of our generation. And it is ironic to me that like, when I say that he's gotten, uh, he's gotten nominated for uh, the dark Knight trilogy Pirates of the Caribbean, Gladiator, Interception, Inter- Inter- Inception, Interstellar, Dunkirk, and now Dune, and he's never won an Academy Award for any of those, which are like all of us can like hum a lot of those, but he did win 
the Lion King in 1995. So this guy, <laughs> man, just he's unreal when it comes to his his sound. Yeah, he can he can probably have it. I wish I'd seen Encanto. I still need to see that one, but uh, yeah, it's definitely worth watching. It's a fun movie, and it's it's definitely um, hit, struck a nerve with. Uh, with America too, and a lot of people are singing the Encanto, and the oh, we, yeah. we we don't talk about Bruno has become yeah, like a yeah, huge yeah. mega hit. So I would I would I would definitely recommend watching that. But I think we're going with the uh, the Leonardo DiCaprio strategy here, where like you've just been nominated so many times that it might not be your best one, but you're just due. So yeah. is that that's the strategy we're going it's for here? Just Dune, with if you will. <laughs> yeah, he's just Dune. There you go. All righty. Um, Best original song, I believe, is the last one we have left before we get into... Oh, we got a couple more here. We got screenplays and stuff. Best original song, you've got Be Alive from King Richard, uh, music by Dixon and Beyonce. Dos Ogritos from Encanto by Lin-Manuel Miranda. Down to Joy from Belfast by Van Morrison. No Time to Die uh, from the James Bond flick by Billie Eilish. And Somehow You Do from Four Good Days, which I have not seen, music and lyrics by Diane Warren. So... um, I'm I'm totally like, Van Morrison all the way. Oh yeah, I loved oh, yeah. the soundtrack of Belfast. It was amazing, dude. Like I didn't know it was happening, and I didn't know Van Morrison was from Belfast, so maybe that's on me. Um, but but like that music just just was perfect throughout that entire movie. I mean, it just struck yeah. it perfectly. You know, it brought balance when it needed it. It brought sadness when it brought it when it needed it. it brought excitement when it needed it. Um, perfect soundtrack for Van Morrison on that. That being said, I don't think it's going to win. Uh, I think that Bond Bond songs almost always win this stuff. And I think that's going to win the Billie Eilish one, even though I don't think it was one of the better. I mean, it's no, it's no Skyfall. Um, yeah. hell, but I, I just, these things win like the bonds, the bond tracks seem to win a lot of the time. So it's just kind of a strategy move for me. Yeah. We'll see. Are you going with Van Morrison? Yeah. I'm definitely going with Van Morrison, especially because Kenneth Branagh almost always goes with Patrick Doyle, who's an amazing composer, very underrated. And then I'm like, he's not doing Patrick Doyle for this. Who's he doing? Van Morrison? Oh, bold. Love it. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm going with Van Morrison for Belfast. Rooting for rooting for you, buddy. <laughs> but let's just both acknowledge that we're idiots and we don't know anything about it. <laughs> Who does, man? Who yeah. does? And I are like, best production design, best cinematography? Here's our opinions. We've never <laughs> touched either of these industries in our lives, but yeah, we'll see. Well, here's some layups. Best animated feature film. You got Encanto, Flea, Luca, The Mitchells vs. The Machines, Raya and the Last Dragon. I think Encanto wins this in a runaway. Uh, there's a good chance that Encanto's going to get it, yeah. Although, I really did like Raya and the Last Dragon. I thought, so I. I thought it ended up being a good movie. Yep, and we liked Luca too. It was just kind of simple, I think, is what we what our uh, consensus was on that. That it was just kind of like a simple, easy story. Um, Flea. Oh, Flea! This the poster of Flea is really cool. I don't know poster. what Flea is. I never. Uh, it follows the story of a man under the alias Amin Nawabi who shares his hidden past of fleeing his country for the first time. Riz oh. Ahmed serves as a, and Nicola Coster Waldo, that's our boy Jamie Lannister. Uh, serve as executive producer. So that actually sounds interesting. I would like to check that out. Oh, it's on Hulu. Yeah, I want to see this one. Well, we did not see it yet, but so Sorry, I'm going to pick Encanto. I can't pick, I, although I do think this is a good category this year. A lot of good, I heard good things about the Mitchells versus the Machines too on Netflix. I just never got around to watching it. 
So uh, pretty good category this year, but I think in Kanto, uh, the songs, the way that it's uh, captured the consciousness of, a, of the world, I think that that's going to win. And then best, best international feature film, you've got Drive My Car from Japan, Flee from Denmark. Oh, it was nominated for two. That's So we definitely need to watch it. Uh, the Hand of God from Italy, um, which is also on Netflix. Uh, Lu, Lunana, A Yak in the Classroom, uh, The Worst Person in the World. Drive My Car was nominated for Best Picture, so I feel like this is the layup of the of the whole thing. <laughs> I, I didn't know they made a movie about you, champ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, funny. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. I, I'll give you that one. It's a dark romantic comedy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I like that title. I'm going to go with that one. Never seen it, but... <laughs> what? You are not. That one can win. I don't care. <laughs> Next, <laughs> you know, Drive My Car was nominated for Best Picture, right? Yeah, I just, I literally just finished watching the movie five minutes before we started this podcast. So if it's nominated for Best Picture, it's probably going to win Best International. Yeah, feature but film. it's yeah, but it's named Drive My Car, and that other one is named The Worst Person in the World. <laughs> All right, well, I guess I'll start thinking up what movie I'm going to have you watch. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's see, Best Documentary Picture, Picture, uh, Ascension, Attica, Flea. Man, we got to watch this Flea movie. I didn't realize it was nominated for three. Uh, Summer of Soul um, and Writing with Fire. I did see Summer of Soul. So that's the one I've seen. So I'm going to pick it. Hmm. I kind of want to see Writing with Fire. It's about like journalists. Oh, yeah. Journalists running the diet women-led newspaper Kabar Lahari as they shift 10 years of print to digital journalism using smartphones. Wow. Sounds like something we might be interested in there, Mike. Indeed. <laughs> are you going to pick that? Or are you? Although Attica, oh, Attica Prison Riot. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, boy, I've been making interesting an... documentaries. Man, I've been making an effort to uh, to watch documentary features that were nominated for Best Picture, like going back through the years. It's mm. it's in my my queue. Uh, it's it's a documentary spot, and I've kind of been just going back and watching ones that I missed and. Documentary is such an underrated category. Yeah. I watched, I think I watched all of them from last year's because I thought we were yeah. going to talk about it. And then we didn't talk about it. And I, I the one that I, I really liked, uh, I think it was called Crip, Crip Camp. I really liked that one. And I was kind of annoyed that the Octopus one. Yeah. I, we should, I was, we really should. I was not a huge fan that. of the Octopus one, but whatever. It was weird. It was weird. Yeah. It was a little <laughs> weird, I thought. And Crip Camp was amazing, like telling those kind of stories and giving, like, putting a spotlight on that issue and, um, you know, disabilities in America, which I, I think that's very important. It's very near and dear to my heart, as you know. And so, yeah, I was annoyed that the octopus was more important than those kids. But anyway, so give me a uh, pick for the next? record. You didn't <laughs> pick one yet. Oh, uh, I'll do the one for the journalists. All right, writing with fire for the record. All right, we got the two screenplays and then the big big six. Uh, best original screenplay, you've got Belfast, Kenneth Branagh, Don't Look Up, screenplay by Adam McKay, King Richard by Zach Balin, Licorice Pizza by Paul Thomas Anderson, and the movie about me, The Worst Person in the World by Escobo and Jochem Trier. Uh, I've seen all but uh, all but uh, The Worst Person in the World, which because uh, I lived it. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, best original, yeah. best original screenplay. Uh, you, you go ahead. You go first. Belfast. Absolutely. Yep. I'm with you. 
I'm with you. It was just, it's, uh, I mean, you can tell it's from the heart. We'll get into that, but we can talk about that more when we get into the best pictures here. Yeah. I'm with you on that. Um, and then adapted screenplay, you've got Coda, you've got Drive My Car, you've got Dune, The Lost Daughter uh, by Maggie Gyllenhaal, and The Power of the Dog by Jane Campion, which, man, that still bugs me that there's no C in that name. Or there's no H in that name. Uh, <laughs> that's just a tick on me. But uh, I'm going to go with Coda because you're literally uh, have this dual script where you're writing for, um, you know, with sign language and you're also writing, writing with the written word and you're also writing with song. Um, and I thought that the combination of those three is definitely worthy of winning this award. Yeah, I I'm really I really have wanted to see Coda. It hasn't been available for me, but I've really, 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 really wanted to see that one. I'm very impressed, like, how, yeah, that is tough to write, like, when it's like, oh, this is a whole visual, like, art that we're creating. It's a film. The whole thing is meant to be seen. However, you need to write, like, an entire script that's based in using sign language. It's like, that's really impressive and challenging to do. And I'm glad to see that kind of stuff is getting good representation and good storytelling with it. I have not seen it um so i'm just gonna vote for dune just because i saw that and that was a book and everyone who liked the book seemed to really like the movie so and it's kind of hard to do because there was another dune and that has that did not win any that did not get nominated for best adapted screenplay think as Uh, our friend evan dean uh pointed out that david lynch didn't quite nail the execution of that dune from uh from back then so uh, let's move into the acting category, the best picture winners, and give sort of quick reviews of them. Uh, let's go with best supporting actress. You've got Jesse Buckley uh, in The Lost Daughter, uh, playing a young Lita Caruso. You've got Ariana DeBose in West Side Story, playing Anita. Judy Dench in Belfast as Granny. Kirsten Dunst in The Power of the Dog as Rose Gordon. And Anjuan Ellis. Uh, as Brandy Price in King Richard. Um, so, Mike, you've seen all of these. Um, I think uh, I think Ariana DeBose is going to win. She was kind of a standout for me in West Side Social, or West Side Social, that's a restaurant by my house. Uh, I think we went there once, actually. We did, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we went there. Yeah. Uh, West Side Story, um, she plays the... the, the sit, she's the girlfriend of, of um, our main guy there. Um, yeah. Bernardo yeah. and she I think she's just a presence whenever she's on the screen she's got an amazing singing voice obviously um, and if you're not talking about the you know the main two I think she has the most presence out of any supporting character and she just sort of kills that role and there's a lot of pressure in that because Rita Moreno who played Anita in the original West Side story is in the movie uh, yeah. as the so like there's pressure there like the lady who played this role before you is on set and now you're trying to you know pick up the mantle so i think she killed it and with that added pressure just just takes it home for me and just singing singing is an added aspect and she danced like her dancing was just like it just blew the air out of the room she was so good um yeah she's definitely my pick too although i will say i thought jesse buckley did a really nice job in the lost daughter uh like i thought she did a really good job just like you know expressing just like a lot of normalcy and yet frustration like all kind of rolled into one person who was just trying to do their best and was like jumping back and forth between trying to be a good mom and also kind of hating the fact that she was a mom and uh like i I did think she gave a good performance too and so i think kirsten dunst 
Um, but yeah, I think Ariana DeBose was just amazing in Chris- West Side Story. And, Kristen, and she was the bullet in Hamilton, which is also awesome. But yeah, Kurt, I'd give it to her. Kristen Dunst is always so understated as her from her performances. You know, it just comes so natural to her that sometimes I think it's hard to it's easy to overlook her, uh, especially in a movie like that where you have a bunch of other heavy hitters. I'm I, I really like Judy Dench as well as Granny in Belfast is sort of just like this lady who is sort of happy and content with where her life is, but also has regrets. That yeah. she never sort of, you know, went to the the movies or went to uh, what was it? Uh, she was referencing the movie from the 30s that she uh, Shangri La or whatever, and there was no roads out of Belfast, and yeah. she's kind of a tragic character. But Judy Dench just really embodies it, and I think the black and white decision gives her face so much more texture and sort of layers that she um, is really, you know, has some regrets and is fighting some stuff in life, but is still happy with her life. So uh, I I thought that she was fantastic as granny as well. Um, Let's see. uh, You got anything else? We should move on to actor. Let's move on. Best supporting supporting actor. You've got Syrian Hines is in Belfast as pop Troy Kotzer as Coda uh, he's Frank Rossi. Jesse Plemons in The Power of the Dog is George Burbank. J.K. Simmons as William Fraley in Being the Ricardos. Cody Smith McPhee in The Power of the Dog as Peter Gorgon. Gordon. Uh, again, I'm going to lean into Coda here. I think this Troy Kotzer guy, while he's easily the most unknown uh, out of out of the actors in this category, um, he's amazing in this movie. Like because he's acting with his sign language, he's not saying anything uh until the very end actually and then he doesn't say anything because he's deaf but his performance is is completely fulfilled you know exactly Mm. how he's feeling at every moment even though he's not talking and it's almost like he signs in different ways based how his character is feeling uh that movie's based on a lot of intense interactions with his daughter so when these family dynamics are going on uh when he's happy you know he's happy when he's sad you know he's sad when he's conflicted you know he's conflicted and he doesn't say a single word and to me Mm. that is the definition of great acting. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to give it to a relative unknown and we see these supporting actors go to unknowns quite a bit. Mm. Oh man. I really want to see Coda. I really want to see this guy's performance. Um, yeah, I haven't seen Coda. So I, I, I can't say anything about Troy's performance, but great job. <laughs> um, as much as I, I, okay. I love, uh, Karen Hines. Um, like I think he's one of the most underrated actors. I will, talk on and on that everyone in the world should watch HBO's Rome, which he played Julius Caesar in. He was phenomenal. Um, he's also done a lot of other things that like were fan favorites in our house, like Persuasion and um, was in Game yeah, of Thrones. Harry Potter. Yeah, Game of Thrones, Harry Potter, Deathly Hollows Part 2. Um, the he, Terror he was in, if you saw that show on AMC. He was in Munich. Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. Like he's, he's, he's some of all fears. Amazing Grace. He's just in so many. Like He's such a good actor. Um, but I actually think the person who I was probably the most like affected by in watching the performance was uh, actually the kid, Cody Smith McPhee from Power of the Dog. I thought he was just really subtle and both like, like you felt really bad for him. And then you were just really fascinated by him. You're like, what's he up to? What's he doing? And then you like got kind of creeped out and scared by him. And overall, he ended up being like, I think in some ways, like the whole, well, my, my take on like the title of the movie, Power of the Dog, I think like he was the one who manifested it the most in a lot of ways. 
And yeah. uh, I thought he actually gave a very, very like chillingly good little performance there. So yeah, I'm, uh, I'm gonna give it to him for what I've seen. But yeah, I I'm really glad to hear this Troy Kotzer guy um, is getting some recognition, and I kind of hope he wins. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Coach- sorry, Sierra Hines. I really love Sierra Hines, but yeah, <laughs> rooting for the other two. <laughs> it was a really nuanced performance by Cody Smith McPhee. I agree. Um, let's see, up to Best Actress, you've got Jessica Chastain for The Eyes of Tammy Faye as Tammy Faye Baker, Olivia Coleman as Lita Caruso in The Lost Daughter. Penelope Cruz as uh, Jenez Martinez Moreno in Parallel Mothers, which again, neither of us have seen. Nicole Kidman as Lucille Ball in Being the Ricardos. Kristen Stewart as Princess Diana in Spencer. This is a tough category because uh, I, I really loved, I know we have differing opinions on Spencer. You did not like it at all. You thought it was, you know, I, you didn't like it. I liked it a lot. I thought it was an amazing character study of her uh, sort of a, a amazing look into what Princess Diana could have been going through at that time and sort of um, how she just decides to throw herself into her children. And even as we know, that wasn't enough. And I just think that the choices that were made in that movie um, were amazing. And I thought Kristen Stewart really embodied Princess Diana. That being said, I think that the the most, um, you know, transporting uh, performance is Jessica Chastain in the eyes of Tammy Faye for the reasons that I sort of talked about in, uh, you know, with the makeup and hairstyling is she sort of becomes a different person. Um, at times, she's not even recognizable as Jessica Chastain. And uh, the way that she sort of pours her heart out into trying a good person, but still stumbles along the way and sort of um, balances, you know, being happy and sad at the same time. And she's this loose cannon lady by the end of the film. Um, And again, physically, I think she's embodies her from an amazing standpoint. And uh, I just think it, it was not, not like my favorite movie of the year, but her performance definitely elevates it. Um, you know, so it would be between Kristen Stewart and and Jessica Chastain for me, but I'm going to give it to the eyes of Tammy Faye. Um, I haven't seen Eyes of Tammy Faye, but I really like Jessica Chastain, and uh, she definitely like just even like the posters. It's like, dang, like that does not look like Jessica Chastain at all. Um, so I don't know. It's not that I didn't think Kristen Kristen uh, sorry Kristen Stewart. It's not that I didn't think she did a good job of like you know, imitating Diana and like putting her own like nuance into it. I just didn't really find that particular mode of storytelling very useful for discussion about that particular life in that particular moment. Well, it's really a snapshot in a specific, yeah. of a specific point in time. And I think it's, I just really, I don't know if they're really trying to like tell her story in that movie. I think they're just trying to get us in her headspace um, within the movie and yeah. sort of show how isolated she is because like none of the other royal family in that movie are really characters. You know, they're just kind of there, you know, so yeah. she outside of her kids. So I think we're just supposed to like really feel isolated. So, I mean, I thought that that style of the movie worked, but um you know, I, I guess that's you. You feel differently, but I mean, would you? Would you still? Would that be your vote? Because uh, you haven't. You've seen the Lost Daughter. I know that. Um, I watched Being the Ricardos today. Uh, Nicole Kidman doesn't look anything like Lucille Ball, but she definitely nails that sort of raspy, like smoky voice that she had. Um, so I mean, she she's great as always. I, I swear, Nicole Kidman is in like six things a year. 
I don't know how she does it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, my oh, vote's for, okay. for Jessica Chastain. But where, where are you going here? Um, I haven't seen Eyes of Tammy Faye, but sure. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I just like, I just felt like the whole Princess Diana thing. It, it just, okay, this is, how would you compare not it to the best the way crown, to say it? It Princess just felt Diana. like, it just felt like it was an SNL impression, like <laughs> very physically on point, but just overly performative. And I don't Searching know. Searching for an Oscar you could say <laughs> yeah like it's yeah I just, do you, do you I think know. the crown actress is better yes interesting yeah. she also has more screen time to sort of get you to buy into it so it's kind of hard to compare i would say but yeah um anyways let's move on to best actor we've got javier bardem in being the ricardos for desi arnaz Benedict Cumberbatch in The Power of the Dog as Phil Burbank, Andrew Garfield in Tick, Tick, Boom uh, as Jonathan Larson, uh, Will Smith as Richard Williams in King Richard, and Denzel Washington as Lord Macbeth in The Tragedy of Macbeth. Another loaded character, a lot of heavy hitters here. Uh, no no minor actors here, uh, Mike. Uh, <laughs> very accomplished actors here who have all had long careers and you know some some younger than others, but Anytime you've got, you know, Javier Bardem, Benedict Cumberbatch, Will Smith, and Denzel Washington in a category, that's, you know, I put Garfield, he's good too, but he's kind of younger, so I put him in a little different category. But those are some heavy hitters there. I'm going to give it to Will Smith. I think this is his best since Pursuit of Happiness. Uh, I thought that he embodied Richard Williams really well with sort of that Southern lisp draw sort of thing that he has. And I know we had some disagreement when we, when we reviewed King Richard about the merits of this movie. I felt that he did a good job sort of uh, portraying a loving but flawed father. Um, and I thought that his performance really brought out the uh, sort of intricacies and nuance of that particular person. Um, so I think this is Will Smith's time to shine. Denzel Washington is one of my favorite actors of all time. And unfortunately, I have not seen Macbeth. So <laughs> he's uh, damn good, I have to say. I have heard that Andrew Garfield was also unreal and tick tick boom and he sang and i heard he doesn't usually yeah. sing and i heard he crushed yeah. it at singing um he also had a good year because i don't know if you heard he was in this little indie film uh called spider-man uh too far from come back or whatever it's called but it <laughs> no was way. Uh, yeah <laughs> um it was just oh man like i don't know ben and cumberbatch is really good too have you ever great too i didn't see the ricardos though um, Will Smith, yeah, I mean he's he's a good actor. I I I don't dislike Will Smith. I like Will Smith. I just didn't necessarily care for that. I don't know. It, I mean the movie wasn't bad. It was I, whatever. Uh, let's go, Andrew Garfield. <laughs> he was solid. Was Jonathan Jonathan Larson, uh, obviously yeah. the guy who, who uh, created Rent. So that movie kind of documents his struggles, and uh, I think you would like it, Mike, because you're um, you know as someone who. Uh, recently went through the creative process uh, that film really portrays that sort of struggle and how it can impact your life uh, I think you would relate to it quite a bit uh, it's on Netflix so I would definitely recommend checking it out I mean I'm not a huge musical guy we got a lot of musicals this year um, but you know it, that one was it was entertaining enough you know cool set pieces and uh, interesting dance numbers I, I think I liked um, West Side Story better if we're comparing the musicals this year, but he does give a good performance in that. 
Uh, let's move on to best director. You've got Kenneth Branagh for Belfast. You've got Risuke Hamagachi for Drive My Car. Paul Thomas Anderson for Licorice Pizza. Jane Campion for Power of the Dog. And Steven Spielberg for West Side Story. So again, uh, some heavy hitter directors here, you know, particularly Steven Spielberg, Paul Thomas Anderson, Kenneth Branagh have all, I believe, been nominated in the past. Um, so, I mean, you've got multiple winners here. I think Jane Campion is going to get a lot of buzz uh, for The Power of the Dog because that movie could have been a disaster if it didn't have the right direction to it because it, it was kind of a slog, that movie. You know, it, it wasn't like a feel-good film. There wasn't really anything happening. It was really just about interpersonal relationships between humans and sort of humans struggling to connect with each other. Um, so the direction had to be on point for that. And I think that she's probably the favorite, but I, I have to give this to Kenneth Branagh because he's basically telling his life story and it was a passion project and he did it so beautifully. Um, so I'm going to take a little bit of a risk here and give it to him. Yeah. I mean, uh, for this one, like the, the real two standouts for me that I was like really blown away by were, West, or Steven Spielberg and Kenneth Branagh. Um, Steven Spielberg is my favorite film director of all time, and he's definitely won plenty of times. Uh, Kenneth Branagh should have won for Henry V in 1989. Uh, three decades later. <laughs> yeah, and he got he lost out to Oliver Stone for Born on the Fourth of July. And uh, Henry V is definitely one of my all-time favorite films. Still widely considered the best Shakespearean adaptation of all time. And uh, yes, I'm sad. And that was Kenneth Branagh's first movie. So I'm sad he didn't get to win that time. So I will root for him for Belfast just because Belfast was just such a good like story. It was so heartfelt. And it was definitely like the feel good like movie about surviving during crazy times and, you know, horrible like political, you know, civil war all around you. And, and just like how do families try to get through that? Do they have to move? It's It's really just like it is kind of the film of the moment, like with everything going on in the world right now. And it's just a sweet like way for him as a, as a person to like tell his own story and to like adapt it. And there's a lot of really great little things in Belfast too, where he's like given nods to his whole kind of career, kind of building up into it. Um, I, Belfast definitely has a soft, like I, I have a soft place in my heart for Belfast as a film. And even though I love Steven Spielberg and thought he was just amazing with West side story um, because I did not, I mean, when you think of oh who should do this like musical about like you know the sharks and the jets and all this stuff you're like oh i know the guy who did saving private ryan he's the one it's like but he but spielberg knocked it out of the park he did a great job with it but at the end of the day i just found belfast to be a much more satisfying film and uh i i, I want kenneth brown to win one so yeah nothing will ever be as bad as Shakespeare in love beating saving private Ryan for, for best picture. Once Man, again, I, why I don't <laughs> like the Academy awards that I, I'll never trust them because of that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah. So that's, that's two votes for Kenneth Brana then. Yeah. Good luck to you. Good, good luck to you. Gilderoy. All right. Well, let's move on to best picture here. Um, and we can kind of talk about these, you know, quickly with, with just some thoughts. I mean, we've talked about some of them. We reviewed some of them on previous episodes. So you can go check yes. them out. But Belfast um, is, is the first nominee directed by Kenneth Branagh. Um, it's got a great cast, um, you know, led by Katrino Balfe, Judy Dench, Jamie Dornan, Syrian Hines, Colin Morgan, and the newcomer Jude Hill uh, plays the kid buddy. 
I really, really like this movie, Mike. I mean, like it was in black and white, um, but it starts in color. And I think that's really purposeful because I think the whole idea is that, you know, like Belfast is still here today, you know, even after these struggles, even after the troubles, um, even yeah. after cities were burnt down, blocks were burnt down. We had this infighting, you know, between Protestants and Catholics. But the movie starts and ends with Belfast in color, looking the same that it did in the 60s. And I think that's Brana's sort of way of saying, Belfast is still here, even though we went through this. Um, so I thought that was a really beautiful way to sort of bookend the film. And then the film itself is uh, obviously there's a lot of serious stuff going on, um, but but there's a lot of funny moments in it as well. The screenplay has some humor to it, whether it's Moira and Buddy sort of bouncing off each other or Buddy's uh, sort of introspective conversations with his dad about wanting to marry the girl or talking to his granny about the old pictures or talking to his pop. Uh, about you know just just sort of life experiences and punching people in the face when they're beers and just sort of how he learns and has these relationships with all the members of his family uh, against the backdrop of the chaos going on in Belfast. Yeah. I thought it was a really interesting way to tell the story and it's and it is interesting because Kenneth Brown is basically his own life story um, and I just found the film absorbing because of that. Yeah, it's 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 definitely his most personal film and it's it's such a beautiful like way to reflect on his own childhood and it, like all the stuff that, that, you know, is great about Irish and Irish storytelling is definitely in this. Um, you know, you've got good characters, you've got like th that charm, the wittiness, like the kind of the little bit of rudeness that's playful and, and sweet and endearing. Like it definitely does capture these characters and capture the feel of this family and the way he crafts the story too, with like developing, you know, here's the characters and then boom, that first explosion of, oh, whoa. Like, and the way the camera revolves around this kid as his world is just spinning. And uh, and even just like the development with, you know, his dad, and his mom, and like they're, like you, you kind of feel everyone's pain in this as as they also discover how to get through it. Um, he does a good job too of like, like showcasing his own kind of future. Like he starts out with the sword and the shield, which is kind of like, I think, I think it's his nod to Henry V, maybe. And then like, you do see like he's reading a Thor comic book at one point and Kenneth Brown went on to direct the first Thor movie. And mm -hmm. there's a moment where someone is shown like with an Agatha Christie book and he's eventually does film version of Hercule Poirot, Agatha Christie's great detective. So there's great little nods in this film. I will also say something I loved. Uh, we talked about the music and how great that was, but I think this movie does does um, play within play film cut-ins really well. So the movie starts out in color as you see today's Belfast. Shifts back to black and white to show the Belfast event. However, color comes back whenever he's watching something being transported into the films and into the plays that are like his escape and like showing him the world outside of the war he's surviving in. And um, Kitty Bang Bang and whatnot. Yeah. And I think it's some of the best, like, you know, in movie, like, like thematic scenes I've ever seen. A really great example is something like the Sandlot, where Benny's getting chased by the by the beast, by Hercules, and it keeps cutting back and forth with the Wolfman, and like, oh, this thing, and then literally the beast jumps out through the movie screen as the the beast, you know, right as the Wolfman's coming out. Um, I think this movie does a great job of showing the family all together. And then showing Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Oh, it's a car that can fly and take us away. And it's like, this is really good thematic work. Or when they do the Gary Cooper at High Noon, like his dad is like the lone sheriff trying to 
stand against what's right and all this change happening. It's, it's just really good thematic in movie work. Some of the best I've seen in the movie. And it's realistic that a little kid would see something at like a movie theater and then apply that to his real yeah, life. Yeah, totally. Um, so, that, I mean, we do that. <laughs> so, like, uh, I mean, that that makes a lot of sense. And the movie just sort of unfolds in a really natural way, which, which I mean, obviously wasn't in Belfast in the 60s during the Troubles, but it seems like it was a place where you could have been walking, uh, you know, down the street, turned a corner, and all of a sudden there's an angry mob looting a store. And that the way that that happens in this in this movie is just sort of really natural. Um, and then, of course, that's all accented by the amazing music by Van Morrison. Oh, um, that is just a perfect, perfect um, sort of companion for this story as it's unfolding. Um, anything by else? Way, or should we my, move on? Should I should I give each movie my grade as I go through? Sure. Uh, Belfast is an A. Yeah, I've got Belfast at uh eight and a half out of ten it's my number i got it at 11 but it's tied with a bunch of other eight and a half so uh one of my favorite movies of the year without question um let's move on to coda which is another one of my favorite movies of the year um as i mentioned uh coda is sort of the story of um this this teenage girl played by amelia jones um coda stands for child of death adults so she's the only hearing member of a deaf family and she sort of struggles her balance or struggles to balance her attempts uh, to help her family's struggling fishing business with her own life aspirations, which in this case involves singing. Um, so there's a lot in this movie that it's so heartfelt, man. I mean, it's it's really obviously the representation is a huge thing that we've got, you know, um, deaf people with sign language uh, being put on screen. And that's something you see even more and more like even in shows like The Walking Dead has a deaf character now, um, like um, This Is Us has dealt with deaf characters. So, like, I, I think this is becoming more and more in like the consciousness, but to have a movie like this, that really focuses on the teenage girl and she feels obligated to stick around and help her parents because she's their translator for mm. them to fit in with society and make their fishing business function. And for them to, you know, uh, be under code with the coast guard and they quite literally depend on her. So she's like afraid to go off and do her own thing and sort of strive for her own ambitions. And the movie sort of is about her coming to terms with, uh, that it's okay for her to ditch her parents, so to speak, because they've basically just been using her as like a free translator when usually, you know, they have to pay someone to be a translator uh, and sort of follow them around in their daily lives. And it's just sort of her learning that it's okay for her to cut her ties to her parents, that she's just been so close with her entire life. And it's also about her parents uh, played by Troy Kotzer and, and um, another good actress uh, that sort of learning that they need to let her go. Uh, Daniel Durant plays or um, plays her mother. Oh, plays her mother. So um, it's really just about, or sorry, Marley Mar Marley Matlin plays her mother. Daniel Durant is her brother, who is also a key role in the movie because he's also deaf. Um, so it's really also about the parents learning that they need to let her daughter go um, because they've been sort of uh, abusing her in some ways, not physically or emotionally, but they've been abusing her because they've been using her as a translator. So. Uh, it's just a lot about a lot of a family dynamics uh, in a unique way. That's sort of a glimpse into a very unique family dynamic that we wouldn't otherwise get. Um, and the movie was just really beautiful and uh, perfect in that way. And I just, I, it really struck a nerve with me. Um, and I've got it at a nine out of 10, my second favorite movie of the year. Awesome. Can't wait to see it. 
Yeah. Uh, Apple TV plus, uh, not everyone has it. Obviously that's an issue with Coda and also, uh, the tragedy of Macbeth. Don't look up. I'm going to skip because we have reviewed it already, but pretty hilarious satire. You can go back and, and check out our previous review on that. Uh, Mike, you just, yeah, it was fun. Entertaining. Uh, we just reviewed that a couple pods ago, so you can check that out. Um, drive my car, Mike, you just watched that. So, uh, give us, give it, give us sort of the, the basic rundown. I mean, we see foreign films. It's not easy for them to be nominated for best picture. So this movie had to have done something. Okay. So my review is very fresh. Like I literally watched, finished watching this movie five minutes before we jumped to the pod. Um, so this is a movie. Uh, it's based on a short story. It's about a guy who is a theater director and an actor, and he's married to a screenwriter and they basically, she dies and then he is going to create a play and her one of her lovers is in the play and then it's kind of about like their tension as also he develops this relationship with the driver of his car and then he ends up like having to take the role in the play that that and you know he becomes this character in his thing he was creating and it, it's kind of it helps him work through his grief and everything. And uh, yeah, it's pretty. It's it's a good story. It's it's a little slow for me. And I understand like different the way different like filmmaking culture, like there's different expectations of different cultures of pacing. But for me, it's a little slow. Um, it, it's there's like literally one moment where it's just, I think it was about, I clocked it about almost 15 minutes straight. And it's just two characters in a car talking and it's like 15 minutes long. And it's, it's good what they're saying. It's just like, man, it's, it's a little slow for me. And uh, even just a lot of the shots in the beginning with the setup, it's a lot of shots of cars driving and someone just riding in a car, listening to something. And there's, very quiet, very slow, very determined speech, but it's it's it just takes a while to get it all out and uh, you know, it's just not my personal taste of a film but, uh, you know, I definitely thought, thought it was an interesting story, the, like the situation. Um, it was also kind of cool watching like a movie about a play and like watching how characters like have tension with each other and then the way they're watching this other character act in their play like they, they might have comments like that was good tension i thought and so i did overall think this was a you know a solid film it's just one that is not going to personally be a favorite of mine just because i it's you know i'm just not i'm not the audience for this film and that's fine um and i congratulations have- to all I have not seen Drive My Car. It's on HBO Max, so I plan on watching it. But to your point, I have noticed that like there's been a lot of movies about Hollywood making movies about Hollywood lately, like about like past movies. Like we had Mank last year, which was about you know the yeah. development of of Citizen King. Yeah. Just this year, you have you had uh, Being the Ricardos, which is about yeah. you know the I Love Lucy. Yeah, once you had Lucy. Hollywood. Yep, you had Lucy, which or Judy. Uh, with Renee Zellweather last year about Judy Garland. Um, So you just had like these movies about like the golden age of Hollywood. It seems like something that a lot of people are focusing on lately, which is fine because, you know, that's an error that, you know, was obviously before our time. So um, it's nice to sort of get those characters and people fleshed out. But that was something that being the Ricardos did well is sort of showed the, 
uh, it's not a best picture nominee, but it sort of showed the, you know, how studio execs and, uh, you know, TV people and producers and directors and actresses and writers, how they all sort of interact with each other. Uh, being the Ricardo showed that really well. Um, <clears throat> back to the best pictures. Dune, we've already reviewed. Uh, I think we spent like 40 minutes reviewing that movie. Um, yeah. Previous episode, you can check it out. Same thing with King Richard. Uh, reviewed that on a previous episode, so you can check that out. Uh, me and Mike had some differing opinions on that. Licorice Pizza uh, by Paul Thomas Anderson um, is an interesting movie that I actually just finished up. Um, and it stars uh, two relative unknowns, uh, Alana Haim, who's a, a singer in a band, I believe, and Cooper Hoffman, who is the son of Philip Seymour Hoffman, who, of course, was a, a regular contributor with Paul Thomas Anderson before his unfortunate death, which still bums me out to this day. I saw him in Along Came Polly when I was in the hospital uh, you know, for, the, for my daughter being born. And uh, it was... I, he's just playing the goofy guy in that movie, but like what a talented actor that was just taken way too soon. Um, so that, that sucks, but you've also got uh, Sean Penn who I haven't seen in a movie in forever show up in this Tom Waits, Bradley Cooper and Benny Softie also show up. This movie's basically about uh, two young lovers in the uh, San Fernando Valley in the 1970s. Um, this is a weird movie. Like, like I, I'm almost like it's, it's classic Paul Thomas Anderson in that it's sort of, um, you know, dealing with sort of out of the box, uh, has an out of the box narrative structure and sort of quirky characters, but not like his, not what I would say is like a typical film of his, like, it's, it's just, it's just a weird movie. Like how, I guess it's a coming of age movie, but like, I don't know, like, how would you describe licorice pizza and what the heck is that title even mean? <laughs> yeah, we could, we could definitely talk about that. Like, what do you think? What do you think is the reason it's called licorice pizza? I've, I've been kind I was of thinking, I was thinking maybe um, like because those are two things that don't really go together, you know, yeah. like, but, but they end up together. I don't know, you know, is yeah. licorice pizza a thing? <laughs> yeah. I, that's kind of where I was going to like, maybe like he represents like the licorice cause it's like a child, a childlike treat and she's the pizza, which is like more like, I don't know, cooler and, and the world's favorite food and, like, but they don't really go together. That that was kind of my take on it too. But I don't know. I don't know why it's called licorice pizza. Um, I'm sorry to break it to everyone, but there's no point in the movie where anyone eats pizza with licorice on it. Uh, so that was a huge letdown for me because I really wanted to see that. Um, at least I don't think there is. Maybe it's in the background of a shot somewhere, but I didn't notice it. Um, but yeah, it's it's basically a story about um, these two characters, um, Gary and Alana. And he's 15, she's 25, and he just starts kind of flirting with her one day, and they kind of strike up a friendship, and then they, she starts kind of working for him, because uh, he owns his own waterbed company, and um, then there's, like, the gas crisis of, like, 1973 hits, and then they have to deliver a waterbed to... <laughs> An actor, or not John Peters, excuse me, and then uh, the, she joins. Then the he opens an arcade, and then they get together, <laughs> and that's the movie. Like it's, it's not really the most. I don't know. I, I thought the coolest part was when she drove down the hill backwards, which I was like, oh whoa! Like this is really, this is. I was really interesting. Um, I was like definitely kind of on the edge of my seat of like what's going to happen here, and it the was, whole bit with Bradley Cooper was my favorite part. Yeah, it was a cool part, but like here, here is okay. 
here's something like that's in that moment that I think like kind of summed up the whole movie for me. There was a lot of very visually interesting things happening, but it didn't feel to me like it mattered to whatever the character development we were supposed to be having. So like when she drives like the car, the, the big truck backwards down the hill, right? Awesome scene. But like, what does that mean for her? Like, do we like, does it really matter if they flip that truck? Eh, not really. It's nothing that valuable in the truck that they really need. Uh, does it really matter if they, um, like, like, does she care about driving? Is this like a thing that, like, you know, she's been told no, no, and now she's going to prove it to herself she can? Well, <clears throat> now that you really. say that, like, I actually like had a, a thought. This is a scene, but this doesn't really have anything to do with the characters or even really the story. It's just like, well, hey, I let's kind just... of have a thought now that you said that, Mike. Like, so yeah. the sort of like the, the, I think the theme of her story is that she's sort of looking for purpose, right? That's why she's doing yes. all these random odd jobs and just sort of floating around looking for something to do. And he's sort of okay. doing the same thing where he's sort of just like looking for his niche in the world and they sort of find it. Uh, what they realize is that they, they don't, neither of them really fit into any niche, but they fit together. Um, so maybe like licorice pizza is kind of like the frivolous pursuit that they have of trying to find something that makes sense. Um, but it, the only thing that is that they should be together. And so like licorice pizza is sort of representative of this ridiculous goal that they're trying to get, but it, you know, it doesn't make sense, right? It's licorice pizza. So they just sort of stick together. You know, I, 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 that seems like sort of what he's going for, but I wouldn't call it one of Paul Thomas Anderson's stronger films. I mean, he's made a lot of good movies, whether it's, you know, the master or there will be blood, blood yeah. or, um, you know, Magnolia boogie nights, uh, punch drunk love. I mean, this is a very skilled filmmaker who's made a lot of good movies. This one obviously still getting nominated for best picture, but I, I don't know. It's just kind of, it didn't really, I gave it a six and a half out of 10. It didn't really move the needle for me. It felt just sort of like a run of the mill coming of age movie that didn't really have any structure. Yeah. I also think that like so much of the like emotional energy of the movie was not in the dialogue or in like actual like character building connection, but it was the music. Like the soundtrack kind of became the emotional guide to what was happening in the film more than the actual story and writing did i felt mm -hmm. and that kind of i thought was it felt a little bit like a cop-out did you give it a grade uh c plus all right moving on to nightmare alley this film is directed by the great guillermo del toro uh it stars bradley cooper kate blanchett tony collette willem dafoe richard jenkins rooney mara ron perlman mary steenburgen david Stra david strathern Great cast here. Um, Mike, like I said, I loved the visual style of this movie. Um, you know, it's, I guess I should say it's, it stars Bradley Cooper as a charming and ambitious carnival worker with a mysterious past who takes big risks to boost his career. This movie clearly is about, you know, the dangers of ambition, uh, how ambition can get you into trouble, uh, how, you know, not being a good person can come back around and get you, karma. These are all pretty common themes that uh, Guillermo del Toro uses often in his movies. He is obviously known for his monsters and his love of monsters and his love of taking someone who might look monstrous on the outside and sort of characterizing them and making them sort of the heart of the movie, um, which he's, he's very good at doing. But in this case, Bradley Cooper is actually the monster. His main character is the monster and he doesn't really have too many redeeming qualities by the end of this movie uh, to the point where he sort of goes full cycle uh, and his ambition 
leads him right to where he doesn't want to be. So I found some, I, I thought that was pretty cool how, how the movie sort of was bookended in that way. Um, and I thought it was thematically on point. And this movie also looked great, in my opinion. I was really transported to the fairgrounds and sort of the this freak show world uh, that he created. Um, and then sort of when he gets out of there and runs away with his woman, um, you know, sort of the 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 that 1940s cityscapes that we were in um, and sort of in this world of, you know, mystique, mystique and sort of magician stuff sort of gave me uh, the prestige vibes to a little for a little bit there. Um, but I quite like this movie just for because of the visual flair and Bradley Cooper is always a win for me. Um, so I, I was in on it. What did you think of it? Uh, I thought what I wrote down about this movie, I wrote slow burn, but great ending. Awesome performance by Kate Blanchett. <laughs> that's, that's what I wrote. Um, yeah, I thought it was definitely a, like, <laughs> I liked this one better than I think he went to Toro's last movie. Uh, the Shape of Water. Yeah. Um, but this one was cool. I liked that it, like, explored, like, the behind the scenes of those carnivals and, like, how people do that whole, like, oh, I, I, I'm sensing someone in your life. I think their name started with a J. Or mm-hmm. It was or educational like, in that way. Yeah, it yeah. was very educational in that. And it was cool to kind of see that. Um, it definitely had an old school film classic feel to it. Like you kind of felt like, like, Oh, we're watching a movie. We're watching an old school movie. I like that. And then like, just the way it builds up into him becoming the master of this craft. And then when he meets Kate Blanchett and then the way her character is completely starts unraveling him. And I loved all the scenes in her office. I thought that was beautiful. It was really well done. This was, but this was a beautiful looking movie, by the way. Um, as his movies usually are yeah this was really good and then the way it built into that awkward scene where like he's having this fake you know conjuring with the ghost and then you realize oh this is fake oh this is awkward oh this is weird oh man people are shooting oh whoa like it it just built and it turned on really fast and then it did not let up and uh, I really loved the psychological gameplay that these characters have with each other Um, yeah it was a little bit slow at times but overall it it was a pretty like creepy movie especially especially the finish yeah i have it an eight and a half out of ten it's in my top ten of the year what are you giving it i'll give it a b plus all right and then speaking of uh old school uh style of filmmaking mike (laughs) west side story by steven spielberg is gonna uh is the final nominee Uh, the power of the dog is also in here but we've already reviewed that as well um, so you can kind of go back and check that out if you want as well. Uh, obviously a quality film. I think that has more nominees than anything else. So uh, I feel like the power of the dog uh, just briefly could end up being the movie that there's always a movie like this that has a ton of nominations and then wins like one award. You yeah. Know? Like I feel like that could be the power of the dog this year. Cause I don't think I gave it to any of them. By the way, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't get to say this earlier with licorice pizza, but there was, can I just say one quick thing I really liked about licorice pizza? Yeah. Okay. I was saying I didn't really care for the movie as a whole. I did want to say I really liked the two leads. I thought they did a yep. really good job. For being relative unknowns, uh, yeah. quite a find. Yeah, I thought uh, Alana Haim and, and uh, Cooper Hoffman did a really good job in this. I also loved that it was like a story about people who are like don't look like Hollywood models. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they're, I'm not, they're not ugly. It's not what I'm saying. I just... But they, but they look more like people that I know. And like, you know, when every single movie is just about like completely gorgeous, like people 
like wearing super nice like clothes it just it just kind of like i don't know i i like that it was like they they pulled off a more like you know human look than just people who are completely plastic but yeah makes it feel more realistic and um, yeah. relatable yeah um, i just wanted to say that in real quick yeah no that's fine but west side story uh directed by steven spielberg uh, stars Ansel Edgort and Rachel Ziegler as Tony and Maria. Ariana DeBose, we've already talked about as Anita. David Alvarez as Bernardo. Rita Morena, Valentina. Um, Corey Stoll's in this. We've got a couple other people. But it's an adaptation of the 1957 musical. It explores the forbidden rivalry between the Jets and the Sharks, two teenage street gangs of different ethnic backgrounds. Obviously, a lot of Romeo and Juliet uh, motifs in this, as uh, I mean, it's pretty obvious, but um, you know. This movie was beautiful, Mike. I mean, as we expect, we've sort of talked about the camera movements that Steven Spielberg invokes in this, but it's, it really does feel like sort of like how La La Land did. It feels sort of like an old school style of filmmaking where you've got these big dance numbers and they're they're dancing, you know, with the steps and, you know, spinning around. And uh, it just feels like the stage come to life, which is how West Side Story should feel. Um, it's just a very pure... Um, golden age of Hollywood style of filmmaking here. Yeah. And you've obviously got one of the best uh, directors that we've ever seen behind the camera. Doesn't hurt. Doesn't hurt. <laughs> yeah, no, it doesn't. Uh, yeah. This movie was just gorgeous to look at, gorgeous to listen to and very, very impressive performances. Um, and also very well written. Uh, I was kind of surprised that this didn't get nominated for uh, it was Tony Kushner. Did it right? The writing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was kind of surprised he didn't get a nomination either. But uh, yeah, maybe just because it's been done already, you know. I'd, maybe they just didn't give him as much credit for that. But um, I, I did appreciate how uh, the Spanish, when they're speaking Spanish, they don't put subtitles on there. And I think, I think uh, Steven Spielberg made a comment about this: how he wanted to treat the Spanish language and the English language as equals. And if you put English subtitles on the Spanish, then it would make that language seem like less or less important. And in this, you because you don't really need to know what they're saying when they're speaking Spanish. You can see by the acting that it's a spirited conversation about I want to be with this boy. I don't care what you say. Um, you know, you don't need the subtitles to, to know what what's going on. And I thought that was a clever um, sort of approach to just let the Spanish be natural, because obviously that makes up a huge part of this movie. Yeah. Yeah. It was a great choice. Um, this, this film definitely felt a lot more like authentic than I think the original did. Um, and yeah, it's updated like, for sure. Yeah. It's definitely updated. It's today's West side story. And, uh, yeah, I, I thought it was really, um, just, it was a good movie. It's very romantic too. Like there's not a lot of movies nowadays where like, there's a lot of like romantic comedy and but that doesn't feel like as like as deep like they can be moving but this one just like man this feels like a, a true deep like love story and wholesome love yeah for it's sure. really really rich in the they're definitely like smitten with each other right away they're star crossed yeah. lovers and that's so old school how like people would just fall in love with each other right away where at where yeah. if licorice if licorice pizza is Paul Thomas Anderson's sort of cynical look at young love and how it comes together. Uh, West Side Social is totally leaning into the romance. Totally. Know? Yeah. <laughs> so I gave it a seven and 7.5 out of 10. What about you? I give it an A. All right, cool. Well, it's time, time for the big moment. Where are you going? Who's winning best picture this year, Mike? Um, 
I really hope it's Belfast. I do too. I, I really do. Uh, I, I, I think it's between three movies. I think it's between The Power of the Dog, Belfast, and Coda, actually. Uh, yeah. And I, I think... I think I'm going to go with Coda. I, I just really think this movie is so unique in, in what we've been presented. Um, you know, uh, I don't know. It, maybe not enough eyeballs are going to be on it because it's on Apple TV Plus, but, and maybe it's just too obscure uh, going up against, you know, Kenneth Branagh and Jane Campion and, you know, Steven Spielberg for that matter and Guillermo del Toro for that matter and Paul Thomas Anderson for that matter. Uh, but I do think that Coda is just like this, we've seen them give uh, give it to these movies before, uh, you know, the sort of underdog movies. Uh, and what won last year? It wasn't some big, huge, uh, you know, sweeping thing. So like, I just, I just really think that this movie, I don't even, is, I don't even remember what one last I know, year. I'm trying to look it up because <laughs> I forgot to, <laughs> this is how uh, I care about the Academy Awards. Sorry. <laughs> oh, no Madland. So yeah, so, that was a good movie. I really liked no Madland, but no Madland, no Madland best picture. Yeah, and that was just a tiny little film by Chloe Zhao, and and it won. So I think that what I think if if Nomadland can win, Coda can win, and I like the movie that much that I'm gonna pick it. I'm gonna go out on a limb and take Coda. So all right, yeah, I really want to see this movie. I, I I've heard nothing but good things. Even just based on the trailer alone, I was like, man, I hope that like it just looks like the kind of movie I want to root for. So mm-hmm. yeah, like I'd be I'd be cool with that. But uh, I will also say though, I. Like in terms of like movie making of this year, like I know it's not getting like it's not a huge conversation we're having, but Don't Look Up was genuinely one of my favorite movies of this last year. Like I would probably put it in my top top like three or top maybe yeah top three or top five like favorite movies of twenty twenty one. I would put Don't Look Up in there. Like I think it was such, the it timing was, was perfect for yeah. It. Like I was like man, we all need to watch this movie like over and over until we like start doing things to change the world. Like, because like of all the movies like that we're seeing, that's like the one that's the most clearly like, not just like preaching, but like screaming the message. And <laughs> it's not, say, subtle. Like, it's, it's a very vital message. Like, and uh, yeah, I, I would say like, don't look up is a, it's a pretty important movie and I hope it doesn't get overlooked just cause it's like a, black comedy um type film but uh yeah i'm rooting for belfast i'll root for coda too and uh yeah good luck good luck to everyone at the rigged uh the rigged awards that you're all about to go to (laughs) and we will circle back uh when mike gets the chance to see coda and the tragedy of Macbeth, especially because i know he's fired up about um both of those movies but that's gonna do it for uh for our episode here where we'll see who gets more right here i will keep track on sunday um and then the loser or the winner gets to uh pick a movie for the other one to watch who preferably one they haven't seen uh so (laughs) that's that's the bet here and we will keep track but uh appreciate everyone for listening uh, again, if you could check out our Facebook page, you can you know where to find our old episodes. Hit us up uh, on Twitter or wherever if you want to want to talk movies. Uh, you got anything else, Mike? Before we get out of here, um, I uh, I hope that you are doing well as a new dad. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, I guess cool. I should say that. 
had a kid since we recorded last. So uh, <laughs> talk about burying the lead, huh? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of surprised. I was like, does he not want to bring it up? Like, okay. Like, and then I was like, oh, well, we're ending. Straight, straight to business, buddy. Straight to business. That's how I am. But yeah. I appreciate it. It's been a crazy couple weeks, but we're getting used to it. And she's beautiful and healthy. So uh, congratulations to you and care. Also, may I ask, what is the new little champ's name? Violet Ann. Oh, Violet Ann. So, uh, yeah, there she is. We'll get her on the pod someday, Mike, if we, if we stick with this long enough. Somebody's just yeah. going to listen to this in disgrace. Be like a <laughs> Dad, you're so embarrassing. Gosh. He picks that movie to win. Yeah, he won't appreciate the Scarlett Johansson conversations, probably. But <laughs> um, all right, let's get out of here before I say something I don't want to. But appreciate everyone for listening. Mike, thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Good luck in your picks. Uh, I'm sure we'll be texting uh, now that we have a little wager on the line. So, Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, we appreciate it. The rest of you for listening as well. If you're still with us, God bless you. Seriously, God bless you. Uh, thanks once again for listening to the Second Day Film Podcast. So for Mike Nichols, I'm Brandon Champion. We'll talk to you next time, and we'll see you.